0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A new 800-page study released by the Public Lands Policy Coordinating Office argues that Utah could afford the management costs that would come with acquiring the more than 30 million acres of public lands now controlled by the federal government. Utah Assistant Attorney General Tony Rampton, newly appointed as Director of Public Lands Litigation, says Utah's current efforts to gain control of federal lands must avoid the mistakes of the Sagebrush Rebellion of the 1970s and 80s. Meanwhile, former Interior Secretary Ken Salazar, speaking at a teleconference hosted by the National Wildlife Federation, says such a lands transfer would roll back 100 years of public lands progress. And the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance is up with a television ad opposing the idea. Well, today we're going to ask you what you think. This uh, is an extraordinary movement. seems to be gaining steam. We'll uh, see if you think it uh, has legs and, uh, and merit. We'll be talking with Tony Rampton, who is uh, Utah Assistant Attorney General and Director of Public Lands Litigation. And uh, he joins us by telephone. Uh, Mr. Rampton, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate you joining us. We're also joined by Southern Utah Wilderness uh, Alliance uh, Staff Counsel David Garbutt. Welcome to you. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, be with us. Maybe we could back up. I'll start with uh, Mr. Rampton uh, back to uh, a couple of years, almost three now. uh, House Bill 148, which uh, along with House Bill 142 set to this in motion, uh, you could give us an overview. uh, this, This set a deadline, I believe, for the federal government.
1: Um, yes, 148. what 148 do, did was kind of trigger this effort, and uh, it did have a deadline in it, but uh, uh, nothing's going to happen on December 31st of this year. Um, this is just too complicated, and uh, it just takes a long time to get all the pieces in place. So uh, the more important thing right now is that HP 142 which was passed in the 2013 session of the legislature, uh, directed uh, the Public Lands Coordination Office to oversee a study and an economic analysis of the public lands to uh, give decision makers better insight into all the ramifications of a transfer of the public lands from federal ownership to state ownership.
0: and uh, there will be, I expect, at least one lawsuit filed uh, by Utah against the federal government at some point. Y- you, you've been appointed the uh, director of public lands litigation. Uh,
1: certainly that's uh, one of the avenues that might be pursued. Uh, once again, uh, that's being looked at carefully by the attorney general's office and also by the legislature. Uh, no decisions have been made uh, yet as to uh, when such a lawsuit would be filed, but that's certainly a possibility.
0: Let me turn to uh, Mr. Garbutt. Uh, Sue, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, uh, must take this a bit seriously. we got television ad up that I saw the other day.
2: Yeah, we do. We think that this is, is a bad idea. We think people should know that, and we think that it's important that people weigh in on this, on this debate and and let the legislature and decision makers here in the state know how important public lands are to them and also push the legislature to set aside partisan rhetoric and actually think about this in a level-headed way and make reasoned decisions and i i still don't think they're doing that here so that's why we're trying to get this information
0: out to the public how how likely do you think this is? If you were an odds maker, how likely do you think this would actually be successful?
2: You know, this whole, the effort here, and especially some of the press that I read after the economic study was released, reminds me of a movie that came out when I was in school where one of the main characters in the film, kind of a homely nerdy guy, asks out or asks this beautiful woman what his chances are of getting a date with her. And she responds after thinking, one in a million, to which he says, so you're saying I have a chance. And that's kind of the approach the state was taking on this economic study, saying economists are saying we have a chance of making some money, but that chance is one in a million. Uh, Realistically, the state has no legal or historical argument to these lands. So, I mean, the idea of trying to plan for how we would manage them or how we might make money Uh, from them. It's really putting the cart before the horse.
0: Mm. By the way, dumb and dumber reference. Uh, Just uh, just, uh, (laughs) to point that out for those of you. Uh, And uh, perhaps I should be ashamed that I know that. uh, But, uh, you know, I laughed during the movie. Anyway, um, let me go back to uh, Mr. Rampton um, and pull back even a little further before we get into uh, some of the issues, legal issues. The impetus seems to be, Um, from Representative Ivory and others who are putting this forward, that they believe that uh, the management of these public lands is out of balance by the federal government, and that that the state of Utah could do a better job.
1: Um, Yes. uh, That's the position that's being taken uh, by uh, Representative Ivory, and frankly by um, the Utah legislature. Um, You know, one of the things that is not focused on in this discussion, and I agree with David that uh, this should not be a partisan issue and that this should be debated uh, rationally and objectively uh, to try to solve some very real problems with respect to the public lands. And um, Frankly, the public lands are not being well-managed right now. Um, One of the things that the study points out is the lack of federal funding for maintenance of the public lands. The forests are in terrible shape, and the range isn't being uh, uh, stewarded well, and so there there are problems that need to be addressed, and uh, that's really what this study is all about, is identifying problems, identifying potential solutions, analyzing the Ramifications of any of those solutions, and then providing enough information so that people can understand the issue, objectively debate the issues, and then make some decisions that are going to be in the best interests of everyone, not just uh, you know the extractive industries, not just the wilderness uh, enthusiasts. Um, to find solutions that will help
0: everyone. Mr. what to to that particular point, uh, the public lands are not now being managed uh, uh, as well as they perhaps uh, could be. What do you say to that?
2: Oh, I don't disagree. I certainly have my idea about how I would like to see the public lands managed. And, you know, I think that's a great point because that's what this debate is really about. It's not about at least when the state is making arguments it's not about history it's not about the legal uh, argument that they have about whether or not the federal government should manage these lands. it's the fact that they disagree with the way they're managed now the system for resolving those disagreements is a political system and it means that the state has a voice in that management but everyone has a voice because these public lands belong to all Americans And I think what you're seeing from some people in the state is that they resent the fact that other people get to say what happens with their lands. They don't like that, so essentially they're saying, well, rather than trying to play nice, we just want to take all the toys and go home. And that's not the way that we deal with disagreements uh, over public resources. So it's just the wrong approach to what is really at heart a policy argument.
0: Let's get into uh, the, the the legal arguments here. Uh, I'll start with Mr. Rampton. What what are the legal in underpinnings of, of this? It has to do, I believe, with the enabling act uh, that at uh, statehood. I think people get a little confused about this. What what is the legal argument here?
1: Well, it it does go back historically. The legal argument and the basis for the legal argument. Um, the congress of the united states in seventeen eighty five created a mechanism for territories to become states and that was the vehicle of the enabling acts and one of the things that the enabling acts did across the board right from the outset was to uh... have lands uh... transferred into the name of the federal government that was done for a good reason and that is that at the time the only asset that the federal government really had to retire debt was uh, the lands. And so uh, the determination was made uh, even before the United States was formed as a union that that's what the federal government would do. They would sell these public lands or dispose of these public lands and uh, use the revenues from uh, that disposal to retire debt. That was a policy that remained the policy of the federal government uh, until uh, the turn at least the turn of the 20th century so the at the time that the uh, Utah enabling act was passed in 1894 and when Utah became a state in 1896 I think the historical evidence is that it was everyone's intent that the public lands in the state of Utah, just as the public lands in all of states, east state of Utah, that these public lands would, over time, be disposed of. And uh, that didn't occur, because there was a change in federal policy. Uh, it was a fairly gradual change, but there was a change in public policy, that's federal policy, to go from a... Uh, Policy of disposal to one of retention and conservation. So, the question is: uh, All right, assuming that there was an understanding in 1896 that the lands would be disposed of, the question then becomes: Can the federal government uh, change its mind? And that's and that's the legal issue, really. Mm-hmm. The legal issue is whether the United States Congress uh, has, under the property clause, the right. To simply change its mind, and uh, that's uh, you know that's that's the issue, and that's an issue that's never been determined by uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, nor by any appellate court, the United States appellate court. So it's a uh, it's a question of first impression, and we'll probably have to eventually go to the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: So to be successful, ultimately, with this, uh, the, the, as you say, it would have to go to the Supreme Court, and they would have to determine that, as you say, the federal government can change its mind, that, they, that the original intent was sale of the federal lands, and they'd have to agree with that.
1: Uh, yes. The, the Supreme. I think this is a case that, that would go to the Supreme Court of the United States, and, and, and that would be the, the question that would be asked. Mm-hmm.
0: Let me turn to uh, to Mr. Garber. Do you agree with that analysis of, of the history there, that uh, the Enabling Act, the, the original intent, was these lands would be sold, um, but that uh, because of a change in federal policy, it just never happened?
2: No, not at all. I mean, uh, to help people understand how outlandish this argument is and extreme, outside of the legislature and outside of those whose job it is to push forward any fantastical argument that the uh, legislature concocts. No, really, no serious legal scholars think that there's any chance of this and agree with this on on the point of law. The legislature's own attorneys, when the legislature was debating this law, warned them, this is unconstitutional. The state's law school Uh University of Utah recently released a report saying there's no historical basis, there is no legal argument that Utah has to these lands. Any of your listeners can, can look at the Utah Constitution, for example, and see that we explicitly disclaim any right or any claim we might have to federal lands. I mean, that's just not the case. There is nothing in our Enabling Act that says that these lands were going to be sold. So this is really, selective historical readings us trying to pretend like we uh, knew exactly what was happening in 1896 when utah became a state but it's pretty clear shortly after utah became a state that the federal government did not have the intention of disposing of public lands one year after utah became a state our first what what became a national forest our first national forest was set aside and a national forest was unique at the time because it was a statement by the federal government that it was not disposing of lands; that it was uh, an area that would be retained by the federal government and managed for the American people. So, within a year, the federal government was blatantly saying to the state, "We're not giving away public lands." You know, we had national monuments set aside in this in this state, uh, just barely over a decade after we became a state. Again, that's a blatant statement by the federal government that it intended to retain federal land in the state. So for the supporters of this Transfer of Public Lands Act to say, you know, I woke up yesterday and realized, hey, they're not handing over this land. I always thought they were. That's really disingenuous in terms of what has happened in our state's history and, and I mean, overlooks the fact that Utah's for more than a century, have known that the federal government was not going to give up this land, all of this land.
0: Mr. Rampton, a rebuttal here, and a phrase this way, what do you think of this white paper from University of Utah Law School?
1: Well, uh, the white paper, uh, there's no surprises in the white paper. Uh, I've been looking at this question now for over three years, and I've read every case uh, that's cited in the white paper and then some. And I think I fully understand uh, where the differences are in terms of differences of opinion as to how a court might decide this. But, you know, it, it troubles me that Mr. Garbett continues to kind of dismiss this out of hand, at least verbally, but this cannot be dismissed out of hand. This is an issue that needs to be presented to the courts. Now, the two of us can sit here and debate both sides of this argument, and we can get down in the weeds, and we just don't have time to do that in this kind, this shorter period, but we know what the issues are, and Mr. Garbett can characterize them or diminish them any way he wishes to. The fact of the matter is that this needs to be taken seriously. And I think by Mr. Garbett's responses and by the attention that Sue is paying to this issue, they recognize that this is not a silly argument. This is a serious argument that's got to be resolved by the courts. Now, what the courts will do with it, I, I don't know. That's up to the courts. I know what the arguments are going to be on both sides. I know what the strengths are of both arguments, and I know what the weaknesses are. Mm. But clearly, nobody, even SUA, is not simply writing this off and ignoring it, or they wouldn't be talking about it. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to take a break. Before we go to break, and when we come back from break, I'd like to look at maybe the the political impetus behind this. Uh, And you just look at the map. Uh, I've got an infographic in front of me. Um, Federal lands. And if, if you go... East of Colorado, it's pretty sparse. And Colorado and West, including Utah and Nevada, is, is all colored uh, federal. Um, the, there's a lot of federal land, and I, I think uh, some people obviously are frustrated uh, by that, and they want it uh, closer to uh, local. And, of course, their, their merits can be debated on that. But before we go to break, uh, Mr. Garbutt, on that last point about taking this seriously, i um, I guess all it would take, even if you see no legal merit to this, is for the federal courts, which have tended in recent years to lean conservative, including the Supreme Court, uh, is to say, uh, yes, we agree with the state of Utah. And, and boom, there's a pathway.
2: Yeah, Tom, I think that you know, what Tony said about us taking this serious, we are. And we're responding to it saying that it's a terrible idea and that they should stop wasting taxpayer funds on this charade. Now, I think, what Tony was presenting though is code speak for saying the law is not on our side. 200 plus years of established public land law are not on our side. So what we are hoping is that the remote chance that we get this to the Supreme Court, we, we get lucky and we have an activist court that decides to overturn uh, centuries of public land law and and issue a decision in Utah's favor. And I just don't think that Um, if people know that and know that that's really what the strategy is here on the legal side, that that's something they would support. I mean, the chances of that, like I said, are one in a million.
0: Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Tony Rampton, who is a Utah Assistant Attorney General, and he's been newly appointed as Director of Public Lands Litigation. A new uh, study is out, released by the Public Lands Policy Coordinating Office, argues Utah could afford management costs that would come with acquiring the more than 30 million acres of public lands now controlled by the federal government. Uh, And uh, there is sharp disagreement over whether this is a good idea, and uh, we are talking about this, of course, on the program today. Uh, We're opening the phone lines now at 1-800-826-1495. What do you think? I've talked to people on both sides of this on this program over time. Uh, some people say that uh, it can just be better managed these lands that uh, if, if you get the to a more local government, in this case, state government. Others say that that's just dangerous. It just means more extraction, for for it example, and lands would be lost forever. We'll get into some of that and uh, talk more about the uh, legal issues, policy issues here with uh, Tony Rampton from the Attorney General's Office and uh, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance's Staff Counsel, David Garbutt. You can join us at 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. And our email is upraccess at gmail.com, access at gmail.com. I'm very curious to see what you think on this following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made
1: possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Center for the Arts, presenting stand-up comedian and regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Paula Poundstone, Saturday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m. in the Ellen Eccles Theater. Information at cachearts.org or 435 752 0026.
2: There are about 10 quintillion insects in the world, and some of them have affected human history in tremendous ways. Once you begin to look at world history through fly specked glasses, you begin to see the mark of these minute life forms at every turn. This Thursday on the Zesty Garden is an interview with the author of Bugged, a book that combines world and social history, natural science, epidemiology, public health, conservation, and microbiology. That's Bugged, this Thursday at 10 a.m. on the Zesty Garden.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Should public lands be controlled by the state or... By the federal government, which is the current case. Uh, some 30 million acres of public lands are now controlled by the federal government. The Utah legislature has spoken. In 2012, they uh, passed uh, House Bill 148. It was signed by the governor. And uh, that set into motion uh, studies. Also, uh, mechanisms by which, uh, if uh, successful in the courts, uh, the uh, land could be transferred to the state. We have with us, uh, talking about this, Tony Rampton, who's from the Attorney General's office. He's newly appointed Director of Public Lands litigation. Also with us, David Garbutt, who is uh, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance's staff counsel. And uh, the number to reach us is 1 800 826 1495. Love to hear what you think on these issues. 1 800 826 1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. That's upraxcess at gmail.com. We have uh, Facebook, Utah Public Radio Facebook page, and you can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio. Let me direct the first question here to David Garbett in this segment of the program. If you look at the map of uh, states and the percentages of federal land, uh, you go to the West, and it, it you know it seems like uh, everything is owned by the federal government. For example, rough percentages: Utah around seventy percent of the land, uh, Nevada close to eighty-five percent, Idaho sixty percent, Wyoming is over fifty percent, and uh, that in some people that just uh, produces some frustration, as we've seen being expressed by the legislature, uh, American Lands Council, a group of uh, rural uh, county uh, commissioners. Um, just the fact that uh, we're in us in our state and the the feds are controlling most of the land. Um, so I wonder if you say what do you say to that, David Garbutt? It's it's it, there's a sense of frustration there.
2: Well, certainly some people are frustrated with that, but I think the fact that we have so many public lands is not something that we should be embarrassed about or feel ashamed of. I think it's a it's a great thing, and I think that. Many Utahns, most Utahns, and and many Americans appreciate the fact that we have remarkable places like the Wasatch Mountains, um, places like the San Rafael Swell, that we have places like Zion National Park, that we have Canyonlands National Park, these remarkable treasures that are owned by the public, and they are available for anyone, no matter your income, your background, to visit, to explore, to enjoy. Now, if all of these areas were privatized and weren't owned by the public, we wouldn't have that sort of access or enjoyment that we all appreciate and love. I mean, that's part of what makes Utah so unique. It's not something that we have to uh, have to complain about or worry about. Now, I understand that people have disagreements about how it's managed, but that's what the political process is for participating in those discussions
0: we have a couple of calls we have an email i think people are interested in commenting on this and we'll get to those i want to give a brief response to tony rampton on that particular question this this sense of frustration this is what's being expressed at the legislature is it not
1: uh yeah but let's take apart what david just said for a second um first of all he said that uh Utah has these remarkable public lands, which it does, and he mentions all the national parks and the wilderness areas and all the beautiful landscapes that we have in the state. Well, this transfer not going to change any of that. It doesn't okay. touch any of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then he goes from that to the argument that if this transfer went through, that these lands would be privatized and the people would no longer have access. That's not true. These lands under this transfer would remain public lands. They would change from federal management to state management. I'm not talking about national parks. I'm not talking about uh, any of the areas that Mr. Garbutt just suggested would be involved, because they're not. What we're talking about are the lands that are under the administration of the BLM and the Forest Service. Those lands would be transferred to the state ownership. They would remain public lands. They would remain available, accessible public lands for recreation, for hunting, for all the activities that the state is so proud of. And that the state is so popular for uh, worldwide—that's not going to change. In fact, the study makes Could it very I clear. To
2: the that's, that's simply L- not true. Uh,
1: I mentioned. Let me,
0: Mister Mister Garbutt. Uh, hold on. We'll give you we'll give you a chance to to for rebuttal. Uh, go ahead, Mister Rampton.
1: Well, w- what I'm saying is, their argument is one: they're attacking the national parks. It's not. Second argument this land would be privatized? Absolutely not. In fact, there is every disincentive for the state to retain the ownership and management of these lands. That's built into HB 148. There is no suggestion that any of this land is going to be privatized. So, you know, the argument that David makes uh, is just... has no bearing in reality. If he wants to talk about management issues, let's talk about management issues. Threatening, saying that this is going to threaten the national parks or that it's going to be sold off, that's not in the realm of possibility.
0: Okay, we do have color stacked up. I do want to give uh, Mr. Garbutt a chance for a brief uh, rebuttal here. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, let me clarify that. I said that places like the Wasatch Mountains would be turned over to the state, and that is true. Uh, if your listeners, if you have listeners in Logan, if they drive up Logan Canyon, most of what they see on that entire drive, this is what the state's trying to take over. Places like the San Rafael Swell, um, what, there are so many remote public over lands. There? Those are mean part mean of place? what the state is asking to take over. Now the question that was asked of me originally, is it a problem that we have so many public lands? I wasn't commenting about the legislation. So I agree with him, they're not asking for the national parks, but they are asking for other remarkable places, places like Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, the Wasatch Mountains. I mean, so many remarkable places, Desolation Canyon. What the economic report released by the state shows, although they're not quick to call attention to this, is that under many scenarios, the state will lose significant amounts of money. What happens if I own a car or a house that I can't make the payments on? What do I do? Well, everyone knows you sell it. What will the state do with these lands that it can't make payments on? It'll sell them off. I mean, for it to say that it can guarantee nothing will be sold, that's not
0: accurate. Let's hit the pause button on this particular uh, debate. And I'm going to come back specifically to Mr. Ampton to your question because I think it's very significant. What, you know, what, what does Mr. Garbutt mean by take over? That's a key question. But I do want to get to our callers. That's the main purpose of the program here. Uh, so we have a call from David in Moab up first. Uh, David, glad you called in. Go ahead to use your question or comment.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um- the way, uh, an analogy I like to use for this uh, issue is, is one of uh, sort of investment. The, the land that we have, the federal land that we have, uh, I consider the principal. And the interest we're getting on this is all the money that we receive from uh, recreational uses, um, which is pretty intense down here in Moab, <clears throat> versus both off-road and, and wilderness uh, activities. And I just don't trust the state to cut into the principle either by um, going for a short-term gain of uh, extractive industries that would ruin the um, investment, the return that we get on our investment from uh, recreation years down the road. If you do a a quick analysis, 40 years of extractive industry will just about equal the amount of the return that we get from recreational industry And once you get past that 40 years, if you ruined your recreational opportunities by biting into your principal, you're not getting your interest anymore. So that's kind of one way I like to look at it. That's all.
0: Okay, thanks, David. And uh, for my guests, I'll give each of you a chance to respond to each of our callers. I'll start on this one first with Mr. Rampton. And uh, David used... um, a, a word I think that's, that's very key here, trust. He say so he doesn't trust the state to, uh, you know, to, to, to do the right thing from his point of view. What do you, what do you say that?
1: Well, um, if he doesn't trust the, his elected representatives, um, he doesn't trust the elected representatives. I don't know what we can do about that. Uh, you know, we are where we are and, um, The the question that he... That's really fundamental here. What's really happening is that people are looking at this, and they're listening to David, and they're saying, if the state gets it, these lands are going to be destroyed. Well, I don't think you can make any kind of assumption like that. It is in the state's economic interest to do everything it possibly can to protect and preserve the beauty of this state. Hmm. The study and analysis makes very clear that that is of critical importance economically. There is no incentive to do anything that is going to destroy the scenic beauty of this state. There is not. The question is, can certain areas of the state that are resource rich be developed? Areas that don't have those scenic qualities could those areas be developed to provide revenues that could help some of our struggling communities? Could be plowed back into education. Could be a lot of things could be done with those revenues. So that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about trying to find the appropriate balance between conservation and preservation and revenues, find a balance that works for everyone. So we're, we're trying to find a balance. We're not trying to destroy anything. We have no incentive to destroy anything. And so uh, I just think the fundamental assumption that this gentleman He's using is using is not realistic
0: let's uh, uh, the, the, the okay. he doesn't
1: trust the that he doesn't trust the elected officials I can't help him there
0: okay uh, I'll ask uh, uh, I want to get a response uh, from uh, uh, our other guest but uh, and so I'll uh, ask Tom and Vernal to be patient you've been holding on we'll get to you right after uh, response uh, so David Garber your response to uh, David and Bob
2: yeah you know I think that The St. George Spectrum had a great editorial on this point where they said, let's be serious. We really know what this discussion's about. It's about people in the state, policymakers in the state that want to see more energy development. They want to see lands managed in a different way. And they're using this House Bill 148, the Transfer of Public Lands Act, simply as the uh, vehicle to advance these arguments. And the St. George spectrum said, "You know, it would be unfortunate if the state took over these lands and developed them at such an extent um, that they want to, because we would lose out on some great treasures, some treasures that can keep our economy functioning and healthy into the indefinite future. And so when Tony says that the state has no incentive to increase development and to hurt our recreation economy, That's not the case at all. If you look at their own economic study, they say the way that they will make money, the only way they'll make money is to seriously ramp up oil and gas development. I mean, the reason that we're in these sorts of arguments is, take Moab, it's a great example. Uh, A few years ago, the federal government, in a widely publicized oil and gas lease sale, decided not to offer for lease some public lands in the backdrop of Delicate Arch. So this is in Moab's backyard. You know, we all have—we have so many license plates in this state that show Delicate Arch. The federal government realized that's not a good place to offer oil and gas uh, leases. This is not a good place for oil and gas development. That was something that uh, many state leaders didn't like. So, yes, they have every incentive in the world to destroy these places because it's all about which use do they want to prioritize, which. You know, who are they really trying to benefit from this takeover? And, you know, I agree with Dave. Why should we trust them? They, can't, they have a hard time managing our own state parks, which account for a fraction of uh, the land taken over by or the land consisted of public lands. So why should we trust the state? I mean, they've shown who it is that they're trying to represent.
0: And uh, if you just joined us, we are talking with Tony Rampton who is with the Attorney General's office. Uh, he has been appointed Director of Public Lands Litigation. Uh, and uh, David Garbett is Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance's staff counsel. Uh, disagreements over management of public lands have uh, now taken an interesting turn. Uh, there is an effort by the Utah legislature to... Uh, to transfer control or seek to transfer control from the federal government to the state government that's uh, spread to other western states be interesting to see how this works out uh, so we are taking a look at this a very important issue uh, today we'd love to uh, get your take on this and we go next to uh, Tom in Vertil. Uh Tom uh, thanks for your patience go ahead with your question or comment.
4: Well, it's more of a comment, and I hope that's allowed, because I think it does go to trust as to who you do trust. And uh, you want balanced management of extraction versus conservation. I have to say that after 40 years in the Intermountain West, I trust the feds because I actually have known a lot of feds. Uh, uh, They're long-term professionals who have a huge bureaucracy behind them that's considering all sorts of resources. And it's not always a bad thing that the BLM or the Forest Service move slowly because they have a whole lot of points of view that they're considering, and I think that they take a much longer view. When you go to the locals, my dad was a county commissioner, and I know a lot of county commissioners too. They're elected officials. We elected them, but I feel that they are much more subject to short-term economic pressures that might compromise the long-term livability of of Utah. So if you get right down to it, I have to agree with the the caller from Moab. I don't trust the state, and I certainly don't trust uh, the counties to manage these lands for long-term livability.
0: Okay, Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the call. Uh, by the way, great name and great town. Um, So let me go first on this one to Mr. Garbutt, and then we'll give uh, Mr. Rampton uh, a chance to respond to Tom in in Vernal. Uh, Mr. Garbutt.
2: Uh, You know, I agree with Tom from Vernal. I think you're hearing that a lot of people don't trust the state for how it will manage. I think we've seen a track record of what the state prioritizes. And uh, for the, the the better long-term strategy of managing these lands, by, you know, I agree with your callers, where the present system that we have is more effective. Uh,
0: Mr. Rapton, your response.
2: Well, again, uh,
1: I don't know how to deal with these uh, trust issues. I mean, if, if they don't trust the state to uh, manage these lands responsibly, uh, that's the way they, they feel, and I'm sure they believe that. And uh, there's nothing I can say about that. All I can say is that the present system of federal management has some serious problems. And those problems need to be addressed. And as long as the lands remain in the hands of the federal government, Those issues are not going to be addressed adequately, and I could go through the litany of problems we're experiencing on the public lands with respect to uh, all kinds of conditions, but the problem with federal management is that it is locked into a bureaucracy. They cannot respond to issues as they arise on the ground. Their hands are tied in many respects to deal with very real problems that affect people who live and work on the land, and that's one of the problems of the federal management is that uh, it just cannot respond uh, to need. And uh, most people don't realize that they don't recognize that they don't understand that, but. That's the case, and that's one of the things that is causing frustration uh, at local levels.
0: Let's uh, go to, uh, we have a couple callers and we have an emailer, and we're coming down toward the end of the program, and uh, I believe uh, that uh, David Garbutt has to leave in about uh, two minutes, so this may be the last call we get in uh, with Mr. Garbutt. Let's go to uh, Susan in Smithfield. Uh, Go ahead with your question or comment.
5: Uh, Yes. Well, uh, beyond talking about whether the state gentleman doesn't trust the federal government or the uh, local people who are wildlife enthusiasts don't trust state government, the bigger concern is that if the land becomes under the control of corporations who are developing the uh, gas and oil interests, that they are trustworthy because once fracking uh, comes in and uh, we need to recognize that water in the west is very precious and once you wreck your water or you don't manage it well then you have really done serious damage to the west. So the non-development especially when newer energy technology is developing all over the world would seem to be what we should really look an eye on if we want to have jobs and well in utah rather than uh, mm-hmm. allowing our water to be hurt because utah does allow fracking to happen what did the gentleman think of that
0: okay thanks uh... thanks susan i'll, I'll go first on this uh... to uh, mister Garbert because he has to leave in about a minute what's your response
2: uh, Tom, again, I think you're hearing from your callers that people know intuitively, explicitly, that what the state is really doing here is trying to take over these lands because it has different ideas about how they should be managed. This isn't about history, it's not about legal arguments, it's, it's not even about whether or not the state will make money. It's about the state wanting to manage them differently, and as your caller sense, what the state wants to do is make a quick buck. I think it's interesting that the study shows the prospects for that are pretty dim. Um, so with that, I'll sign off. But thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tony. And. Uh
0: Thank you, Dave. callers Thank Okay, thanks. That was uh, David Garbutt, who is staff counsel to the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. He has to get to a meeting, I believe, at 10 o'clock, so he has to leave right now. Uh, but we have uh, still with us um, Tony Rampton, who is with the uh, Utah Attorney General's office. He has been newly appointed as Director of Public Lands Litigation. Um, uh, so, uh, Mr. Rampton, your brief uh, response uh, to our caller from Smithfield, and then we have another couple of callers.
1: Well, <clears throat> If the lands are transferred, the lands would still be subject to all of the environmental laws. It would still be subject to the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, all the Clean Water, uh, Drinking Water Act. All of these environmental laws that protect water, for instance, would remain in effect. Nothing in that respect is going to change at all. Uh, so. Um, and once again, that's something that people don't understand regarding this transfer, is that many of the environmental protections that presently exist will continue to exist. That is not going to change.
0: Let's go to our next caller, who is Margaret in Bernal. Margaret, uh, thanks for calling. Go ahead with your question or comment.
2: Oh, well, my, one of my, my things was that um, I don't think it should change because i also think that um, uh, there the was some talk of, of say putting a um a hotel of some sort on antelope island and if they uh, if the uh, 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 uh state had it i guess they could do it on on the public lands that we have now, and any way of spoiling them is very sad and also um, any change uh, is not likely to get to all the um, overseas travelers that come to see these lands. Hmm.
0: Okay, thank and you, Margaret. That, that's
2: my main point. Thank yeah, you yeah,
0: all. thank you. Appreciate that. That's Margaret and Vernal. Uh, so, Mr. Rampton, uh, she gave an example of uh, a, a proposal. I don't think it's gone anywhere at this point of putting a hotel on, on state land of Antelope Island.
1: Well, what you're seeing. Here And what you're seeing, I think, to some degree with all the callers and and with David, as a matter of fact, is that people by nature are afraid of change because they don't know what the change is going to mean. And it's easy when people are predisposed. To resist change to raise hypothetical issues by saying, this might happen, or this might happen. For instance, building a hotel on Antelope Island. It's that sort of hypothetical concern or fear about the future that makes people resistant to change. Change is hard because change involves some unknowns. It's human nature to feel that way. And I understand that fully. But sometimes change is good. Sometimes change is necessary. Sometimes change has to happen to make everything else work. So change is sometimes scary, but change is also often necessary.
0: We we have uh, three emails I want to get to before we close. Uh, I'll do these next two together because they're they're I think somewhat in agreement with each other. Get your response, Mr. Raptin, then I'll, I'll get the other one. Uh, so this first is from Kylie in Moab. Kylie says this is outlandish, extreme, and ridiculous. I think she's talking about the lands proposed lands transfer. Not to mention a huge waste of money. These are public lands, which means the public of the entire United States. Utah's government is being shockingly selfish by attempting this. This is all about selling our Public lands off to the corporate extraction industries. The land and wildlife that lives on those lands has a right to live unmolested by humans. We need to be protecting these lands, not selling them off, which is what Utah wants to do. This is just a land grab by Utah. That's uh, Kylie in Moab. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, and then uh, Daniel uh, says he's talking about trust title of his email. It says, Elected officials gain public trust by keeping the promises they have made to the people who elected them, and by representing what those people want. Elected officials often make decisions independently of voters' opinions, and that is how you lose the trust of the people. So that's Kylie and uh, and uh, Daniel. Uh, again, this idea of trust, which we, we, you've addressed, um, Mr. Ampton, uh, and I think, I don't know, this is so highly politicized, I don't I don't know if you can do this in a legalistic manner. Some of this you have to. You have a legal strategy. You go forward. But um, if you're on one side, you you want the feds uh, in control. And if you're on another side, maybe loosening it up, uh, rebalancing, as some would say, you're, you're on the state's side taking over.
1: Well, this is a very controversial issue. There's no question about it. And people feel very strongly on both sides of the issue. And uh, I recognize that, and I appreciate that. And that's the reason that we're, we're trying to present as many of the facts as we possibly can so that the debate is an informed debate. Rather than speculation about things that might happen or Shouldn't happen or whatever. Uh, Let's start talking about problems, facts, issues, solutions. That's what we need to be talking about, not what you're afraid of. Let's start talking about what we should do to make things work better. And uh, if we can get the debate more focused on solving real problems and addressing things constructively i think we're going to make a lot more progress than we're going to make if we continue to debate these extremes which shouldn't control this debate
0: Hmm. Uh, here is uh joe in i believe he's in the vernal area Uh, He says, I think a classic example of why Utah should not take over federal lands is the McCoy Flat mountain biking trail system outside of Vernal, the trail system that has taken a lot of time to build and is bringing in tourism is now about to be destroyed by the quote-unquote trusted government for oil development. This is a glimpse of what we can look forward to with the state taking over. I'm not familiar with the McCoy Flats uh, situation. I don't know which is the operative government, whether it's the county or or, or what it is. But uh, here, here's an example uh, from Joe who, who says he uh, he doesn't think this change should happen. Uh, Do you so, want my reaction uh, uh, to uh, that? Yes, yes. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, Again, uh, the common theme here from all the callers of Mr. Garbett is let's hypothetically assume bad things are going to happen after a transfer, and therefore the transfer shouldn't happen. I haven't heard anyone talk about how we're going to clean up the forests to reduce the fire load is causing devastating wildfires, or how we're going to address the fact that wild horses and burrows are overgrazing and devastating our range. How are we gonna cure that problem? All of the callers, all of the things that Mr. Garbett addressed were, let's fear what might happen in the future. And even though I understand that that is a concern of people, rightfully, nobody has addressed existing problems that need to be addressed and that aren't being addressed under federal management.
0: We'll, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, we are uh, just about out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. This will go uh, forward, and I'm sure we'll probably be addressing these issues uh, again. It'll be interesting to see what happens, and right in the middle of it will be our guest today, Tony Rampton, who has been appointed Director of uh, Public Lands Litigation with the Attorney General's Office. Thank you so much, Mr. Rampton, for being with us.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And coming up top of the hour, it's uh, Zesty Garden. Thanks for listening. Programming on Utah Public
5: Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread,
1: located at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, featuring croque madame topped with egg, Swiss cheese cream, and ham broiled atop a thick slice of sourdough. Breakfast menu at crumbbrothers.com.